stargazers, welcome to 7th House Astrology, where I take a topic that is either astrological or a topic related to the topics of relationship and romance. I investigate it under the lens of sinister astrology, otherwise known as love or relationship astrology. I am your host, Sandra Misek, and I'm so glad that you guys have joined me for today. So for today, we're going to have a little bit of fun with this episode. And I feel like um, it's on a topic that we all deal with on a day-to-day basis. Now, whether we are self-employed and we no longer have to deal with this element in the workplace, or whether we, like kind of like with me, it's a nine-to-five shift or any other shift, we do deal with this factor in the workplace. We are getting into synastry of the workplace settings, and we're going to get into the synastry charts and what they look like when it comes to relating with coworkers today, uh, particularly what the chart looks like when we're getting along with coworkers. Like, you know, you, you kind of, I guess everybody has this moment where we just, we have that one coworker in the workplace who we just, we're just like PB and J. You know, we just, we just get along. Uh, the, the flow is very natural. Um, the relationship is very natural and very fluid. So we're looking at the chart and seeing what's going on with the relationship, um, astrologically wise when that happens. But again, we also, you know, we got to be a little bit more realistic as well, too. We also have those coworkers where we are like oil and water. Or we are like nitrogen, nitrogen and glycerin. We don't really pull it off. We're really not getting along with that person, no matter how hard we try. And um, again, we're kind of taking a look at the chart of um, coworkers who do not really get along as well, and what's going on there. And also, just really, um, I'd love for this episode, you know, to be a great takeaway. Like, what is astrology kind of telling us, really, when it comes to the dynamics of the relationship in the workplace, because we're going to, um, I mean, let's face it, you know, the astrology, you know, the relationships in the workplace are far different than any other relationships that we have outside the workplace. It's very much like a marriage where it's just a very different relationship. There's a different set of norms. There's different sets of goals. It looks a bit differently as well, too. And it's, you know, really just that takeaway of what's occurring in the um, chart and what can we take away when it comes to relating with people so that we can, you know, whether we are in a nine to five position, whether we're not, we can still make really great relationships amongst coworkers. Even if it's like oil and water between two people, we can still utilize the best um, you know, and, and kind of take away a couple of great lessons from astrology when utilizing the best resources and getting along, uh, getting along uh, the best way with coworkers as well, too. And let's face it, too, coworkers are constant in our lives. Whether we like the person, whether we don't, they're they're one of those constant in our working lives. So I think it's I feel like this episode is also really important for us to kind of consider as well. So getting right down into it. So before I actually begin, I do have to say that a, there weren't a lot of resources for this week's episode with coworkers. So I am kind of really drawing on some of my own research from this week in what I've noticed with charts. 
Um, I am mainly noticing some charts with actors because, well, I'm going to be honest with you, stargazers. For a long time, I wanted to become an actor. And unfortunately, I failed to become one. Uh, I, I tried out or I tried, um, yeah, basically I tried out with a film agent. And right after I did so, right after he had deemed that I was a little too dramatic for film, which was true. But I just kind of felt like um, it was a it was really the biggest blow that I ever had or that I ever encountered, um, even though I had years of a little bit of, a, of, of the little bit of experience that I had in school. And I just kind of felt like it was, you know, maybe time to recalibrate because there were a lot of things in the acting industry that weren't really working with me at that time. I kind of felt like, you know, at 26 years old, it's like, if this were going to work, it would have worked by now. Maybe it's working in a different way, but, um, you know, I, I had to reassess paths. But nonetheless, I still always wanted to become an actor. And sometimes I like to take a look at actors' charts because I always compare my working life, really, to if I were a successful actor. You know, if I were a successful actor, I'd deal with a toxic coworker this way. Or if I were a successful actor, I'd deal with a coworker. If I deal with a really great co-star this way, um, you know, and just different dynamics of the workplace, I usually factor in um, with likening being on set as an as a film actor. Um, however, even though I'm drawing on two different sinistry uh, charts, uh, I'm going to be specific that of both Diane Keaton and Meryl Streep, and Betty Davis and Joan Crawford. I will also do my best to relate the, what I'm finding, the findings to the everyday, you know, um, everyone who, you know, is in the everyday and who might have a similar relationship with a coworker. So what is factored when it comes to looking at the sinistry chart um, with coworkers? Well, first and foremost, kind of like with that of bosses, and we'll revisit this with um, the, your uh, your relationship with bosses as well, too, in the, the workplace setting. One thing is that we do, you know, we, Sinistry Astrologers, those who are into Sinistry Astrology, as I am, you know, astrology nerds such as myself, uh, when we assess Sinistry Astrology, we tend to take a look at the whole chart. You know, there's really no one big factor that really kind of separates or it kind of really indicates good relationships versus bad. We still take a look at the sun signs. We still take a look at the moon signs, the ascendants. But um, one thing that actually we do do that's a little bit separate from just traditional sinistry astrology is that um, this was from Linda Land, um, you know, or one particular individual who had commented on Linda Land actually taking a look at the Mars positions between both coworkers. Now, that actually does make sense to me when it comes to Mars, because when it comes to the workplace setting, you know, the workplace is a very Martian-oriented sort of environment, you know, uh, Mars is all about action. And, you know, I mean, if we take a look at Aries and we take a look at Scorpio, both um, signs who are ruled by Mars, it's all about action. It's all about getting those ideas, putting them into action, putting them into real life goals and, you know, driving those ideas forward. 
And when we look at the workplace setting, that's precisely what the workplace setting is like. Uh, we're actually taking milestones. We're taking mission statements. We're taking big philosophies. And many corporations and also many office settings as well, there's milestones, there's mission statements, there's philosophies that they're putting into place, and they want to move that forward into business. And really what's going on with the employees why we're kind of forced to make goals or why we're forced to make certain landmarks. Um, sometimes it feels like we're forced, but you know why we want, why we need to meet certain benchmarks, certain dollar per hour. Um, that was from barbering years for myself, but that's also within retail. You know, the reason why is that again, it is a very dream driven is why I like to say sort of workplace. So it makes sense that, um, you know, with coworkers, coworkers can either, so I'm going to actually phrase from what I, um, from what somebody had told me from the behind the chair. It might sound very in the face and might sound very simple, but it's kind of stayed with me. And I feel like this is really a dynamic with coworkers that exists in all workplace settings. So, um, a former barber had told me, you know, drama or, you know, the way that you get along with coworkers is how much you stand, you know, how much you kind of stand away from someone else's money. So say that you have a coworker who you don't get along with. Usually what happens in sinistry or usually what happens just in general is, you know, you're not getting along because that person somehow is standing in the way of your money. They're standing in the way of your goals they're standing in the way of your success. And astrologically speaking, that's usually, you know, their Mars placement is not really well placed in your chart. There's um, usually a hard placement or hard alignment between Mars and possibly a personal planet or Mars or just another or any general planet in, in general as well, too. Or it is also possible that Mars is outside a house that really just does not really kind of get things working. It's not productive. You know, it's not a very productive relationship. Um, conversely, though, those coworkers that you bond with very well, again, it kind of boils down to, you know, these are the coworkers that end up teaching you things that um, you can actually bring with you for many careers, many works, workplace settings many um, different jobs down the line. Um, in fact, I've even seen this both with coworkers and with bosses, you know, with uh, coworkers and bosses. Um, if, like I said, the dynamic is really strong and, you know, we're getting along very well. A lot of times they usually share their inner philosophies that really kind of, like I said, again, can be something that can be very helpful to someone else further down the line as well. And normally what I see in the chart is that Mars is in a nice alignment or it's in a, you know, easy alignment, so to speak, uh, in the chart, or it's outside a particular house that's beneficial and conducive to work and also to work different workplace strategies to different philosophies and different mission statements and goals right there. So I just, I thought that that was rather interesting. I also like to take a look, you know, when it comes to workplace sinistry and the charts, I personally like to take a look at Saturn as well, too. Now, I know um, what some astrologers might be like, what, are you crazy? Are you nuts? But 
Um, usually Saturn, once again, is that planet, you know, rules. If we take a look at Capricorn, we also take a look a little bit at Aquarius. It rules uh, basically how to organize your life, how to carry things efficiently, and also um, managing time. You know, Saturn was the god of time. And, uh, you know, one of its, the biggest problems is that, you know, change and time moving forward are really kind of against Saturn's grain, so to speak. However, though, if you're managing the current time that you have, the present time that you have, that's really what Saturn's energy is all about. And really, I kind of, I take a look at Saturn because it kind of, um, between two coworkers, it really kind of shows how each coworker is affecting the other coworker's dedication in the workplace. So if Saturn's in a hard alignment, somebody, you know, like specifically, especially if um, Saturn's in a hard alignment with Neptune, whether that's in somebody, someone's individual chart or whether that's in the synastry chart, um, again, that might show someone who's kind of slacking off, who has like really not a very hard work or not really great work ethic. They're relying on the other person to kind of get them moving and to get them motivated when really they should be coming to the workplace already motivated um, in this day and age, especially. Uh, again, if Mars is in an easy alignment in the chart, that also indicates, you know, two coworkers kind of motivating each other to do their best every single day and motivating each other forward. Also, uh, where Saturn hits, again, just like with Mars, if it's outside a house that's not very productive, we're going to get that little bit of a lag. If it's outside a house, though, that's really productive to the workplace, it's going to, you know, again, that's a factor to take into consideration as well. And then a couple of things that I had also learned from both Linda Land and that I had observed. So um, there was another individual who had commented on the DM posts with Linda Land and had basically mentioned the chart and had shown the chart of one, you know, the sensory chart between himself or herself and also the coworker. And what um, was mentioned was that this coworker was really too good to be true, really awesome. This person not only could have been a friend, but also possibly a lover is what um, the individual had also posted. But a lot of transits were happening between their 10th houses and also the, the uh, she had mentioned, he or she, I should say, had mentioned the 11th house as well, too. Um, I found this to be very interesting because the 10th house that's the house of careers. Um, you know, again, Capricorn rules it. So it's the house of careers, of ambitions, of the bigger picture, of the mindset, and usually kind of um, really relates to how two coworkers, you know, how interested and how invested they are in the workplace setting. I also say it's uh, an investment in their careers as well, too. Uh, this individual had a lot of personal planets between the coworker and him or, or himself or herself um, in this particular chart. The 11th house, of course, indicates friendship and uh, as well as platonic relationships. So I felt like that was very apropos to point out. And also the, the transits or the planets that were in both of those houses as well and where they were overlapping in the chart. 
But it kind of got me to thinking, you know, this the, with the reference to the houses, it's like, well, if there's like a 10th house overlap, you know, it's what about the second house and what about the sixth house? Because second, sixth, and 10th houses are seen to be like our, our money houses and also our career houses. Second house literally uh, relates to not only security, but also our monetary funds, you know, what's coming in our money, so to speak. Uh, sixth house is ruled, um, you know, basically rules how we get along with coworkers in general, but also our level of service and dedication to a particular project or to our job as well, too. You know, if we're pretty dedicated, if we're kind of yeah, you know, kind of not so much. And, you know, how that dedication is kind of seen between both coworkers and if both coworkers can respect each other's motivation, so to speak, and their dedication in the workplace. You know, um, sometimes with a, you know, ill aspect at sixth house, you know, either somebody can be appreciated for their service or sometimes, one person can come away feeling as though they're being taken advantage of, or another person might come away thinking, not really appreciating the amount of effort that that sixth house person brings into the workplace. And then, of course, the tenth house being that of, you know, focus on the you know, focus on the career as well, too. But one thing that I start to notice in the charts um, where there was a nice, easy rapport I mean, I compared some charts of where I had a nice, easy rapport between coworkers, both now and also in the past. And also, um, I had pulled up Diane Keaton and Meryl Streep's charts, um, mainly because not only did they work on Marvin's Room back in 1997, but one thing that stood out to me, especially when Meryl Streep was on the Rosie O'Donnell show way, way, way back in the day, right, you know, right when Marvin's Room was being promoted, which was, ooh, I'd like to say around January of 1997, because that was when it, it kind of came out. Um, I just remembered with Meryl Streep that she had mentioned that Diane Keaton and being paired with Diane Keaton was really a dream come true because she just felt like, she actually felt like she even handpicked Diane Keaton as an actor um, to star and co-star opposite her and opposite her character. Uh, and of course, for those who are not familiar with Marvin's Room, deals with two sisters, uh, they're, uh, the drama between two sisters. If I'm remembering correctly, one sister's dying while the other one is dealing with a pyromaniac of a son. And of course, the pyromaniac son was also portrayed by Leonardo DiCaprio. Um, hence why Marvin's, part of the reason why Marvin's room was on my radar back in the day. Uh, but I also loved Meryl Streep and Diane Keaton. But, uh, you know, back to Meryl Streep, she seemed like, uh, it, she had said it seemed like she had almost handpicked Diane Keaton for the role because it was just so perfect. Diane Keaton was naturally like a, a sister to her. And what was kind of interesting with Diane Keaton, vice versa, you know, she'd said the same thing about Meryl Streep. So I kind of felt like there was a good impression between both actors or both actors kind of gave a good impression on each other. And I just want to check out like what the what the chart really looked like. So in my observations with the houses, whether it was between a coworker with whom I had gotten along with or with uh, Diane Keaton and Meryl Streep here, is that um, either all three of the money houses were aligned with each other in the chart or two of the three 
of the money houses were aligned in the chart. Also, again, Mars is in a good position in the chart. It's not ill-aspected, or if it's ill-aspected, it's really um, not really a huge conundrum um, in the chart. It's not like it's ill-aspected with Neptune, which shows like a sluggishness to get motivated. Um, you know, normally there's a, there's a good harmonic or there's a good placement of Mars and also of Saturn um, in the chart. But uh, to give a good example of the houses, we're going to take a look at Diane Keaton and Meryl Streep's charts when it came to Marvin's room. So surprise, surprise, the first thing that I noticed between the two of them, you know, Meryl Streep is so awesome in what she does. I mean, how many Academy Awards has she won? How many awards has she been nominated for and won? And, uh, you know, I just seeing her performances, too, she still is the reigning queen of acting, in my view. I've actually heard she still goes for acting, uh, actually acting sessions, act, acting coaching as well, too, which is not surprising to me. Uh, it sounds like that really what that kind of means to me is that she does have an undying you know, dedication to the craft. And it's not surprising for me to see that within her 10th house, not only is her moon placed in there, so she's a Cancer, Sun, Moon, and Taurus um, individual, but as if that's not enough, her North Node is also placed in her 10th house. So talk about dedication, her North Node being like her purpose in life is with her career. And um, I would say probably the purpose is with um, not only finding out more about the career, but also maybe balancing the career with the rest of her life and seeing what's learned within that in exchange as well. But within the chart um, with Diane Keaton, when uh, Diane Keaton's chart is actually overlaid um, the, when it comes to the synastry chart, Diane Keaton's sixth house, as well as a little bit of her fifth house, overlays that tenth house. So what this translates to me um, in the chart is, and, and even though Diane Keaton does not have a planet in her sixth house, nor her fifth house, the overlay to me is that Meryl Streep's dedication and also the fact that emotionally she feels at home in the realm of acting and like she lives, breathes and dies acting. Um, so to speak, she's, she's one of the, she's the actor who really, she really gives it, you know, it's, it's like, it's very important to her. The realm of the theater, the realm of film is very important to her, very important to her emotionally as well as within her soul. It's like her soul's purpose is being fulfilled uh, with, with on set, but you know, her dedication and her views of acting, you know, just in, again, encompassing that 10th house, her views and overarching, um, you know, viewpoints of acting really inspired Diane Keaton as a coworker in the regard that her level of dedication was amped up a little bit more with Meryl Streep's dedication. So it was, you know, this, the um, dedication kind of inspired Diane Keaton to give, you know, it, it was not only inspiring to work with Meryl Streep, it was also inspiring to hear her viewpoints because that really amped up um, 
her performance and her level of dedication and service when it came to her role when it came to Marvin's room. So when it came down to Meryl Streep's second house, it was actually overlapping Diane Keaton's 10th house. And this is all in Virgo. Plus Meryl Streep has Saturn in that second house. So what that indicates to me is that when it comes to money, when it comes to finances, Meryl Streep is also very dedicated and also very mindful and conscientious when it comes to her roles. You know, her roles, it's not just the immediate paycheck for filming the role and not just the immediate paycheck for making the movie or for encompassing a particular role um, in a particular movie. She's looking at the long term of the movie as well. If this movie is going to be a blockbuster, if this movie might be rented over time so that she's continually receiving some of the royalties for when that film is streamed, for when that film is bought. Um, I, I think really, if I'm thinking correctly, some of the royalties are not only distributed to the screenwriters and the director and the producers, but also I think some of the actors get that fair share. So she kind of um, takes that very seriously and um, really just makes sure that everything is right in line when it comes to the roles that she chooses. With Diane Keaton, that can actually inspire her when it comes to her overall 10th house views. And again, these 10th house views are also outside. They're um, right in line with Virgo, which makes her 10th house viewpoints of work very similar to her 6th house viewpoints in the regard of how can I be of service? How can I be of service to the director and encompassing his or her dream? How can I be of service to the producers, um, making sure that I'm that actor, that they're really well funding uh, when it comes to the production, or, or that I can be the reason for why they're funding um, this particular production or why they're funding, you know, this particular film? And also, like, how can I be of service to my coworkers as well, too? You know, how can I be the best coworker ever, the best actor and the best, you know, co-star ever to all of my other co-stars as well, too? And I feel like with um, Meryl Streep's, you know, very dedicated and very principled and serious viewpoint when it comes to money and monetary matters, again, that would inspire Diane Keaton's worldview of maybe – you know, it's it's nice to consider of being of service to everybody around you, especially when you're on a film set. You're that's the epitome of collaboration. Actually, any workplace setting I feel is the epitome of collaboration, but especially a film set. And uh, Meryl Streep really could have just said, you know, it's really nice that you're focusing on dedication. However, you can also focus on your own security, monetary wealth um, in the end as well, and maybe could have given some pointers to Diane Keaton of how to do that, you know, how to make sure that her safety on set was also minded, um, how her security on set was also minded. And again, these were things that could have been taken away, way far away from Marvin's room and possibly still a couple of pointers that Diane Keaton could really use to this day. And, you know, vice versa. I think um, being of service 
could have influenced Meryl Streep in the in rethinking about how to rethink about money or how to rethink about safety and security on set as well too. So I feel like the relationship was very reciprocal in that regard. And then with Meryl Streep's sixth house, um, Diane Keaton. So Diane Keaton is actually a Capricorn, Capricorn sun, Aquarius moon. So her sun and Venus placements are actually outside that sixth house. And Meryl Streep's sixth house also not only borders um, Diane Keaton's second house, but also her third as well, too. Um, So I would say with that second house, really, again, Diane Keaton also the same thing. She also had a lot of her mindset of what is, again, um, what can bring in the money, what can bring in the financials when it comes to the particular role, and um, really having her opinions on that, especially um, having Capricorn as the sun and Venus She's really very savvy. Um, She really picks roles, again, that also, like with Meryl Streep, that have a lot of longevity, um, not only with, you know, a good paycheck associated with uh, the film, with filming, but also that might be a film that would stream lots of downloads and give her some little bit of a kickback in the future as well. But aside from the money and the monetaries, I mean, I would say her version of security, um, her version, you know, again, with her moon conjunct Venus, um, very agreeable personality is really also what I see. So having like a very agreeable views about money, security, and also monetary matters. And that really could have rubbed off on Meryl Streep with her sixth house um, in, you know, again, her dedication, her view of dedication as well, especially since Meryl Streep also has Jupiter in the sixth house. Her view of dedication is very widespread. So it's not just um, how she's getting along with coworkers or co-stars. It's also how she's getting along with everybody on the set. And with Diane Keaton, not only does she support that um, in the chart, but also may give Meryl some tips of how to maybe narrow that viewpoint a little bit to where, again, her monetary success, her security are also considered as well. So already within this chart, we have a triple overlay between the the 10th, the 2nd, and the 6th houses. And I think I'm just going to go ahead and also encompass Diane Keaton. So, I mean... There was the sixth house outside Meryl Streep's 10th house. Uh, when it comes to her second house, we had already mentioned the sixth house with Meryl Streep. And then I think with her with her 10th house, yeah, we'd mentioned with Meryl Streep's second house. So I have to cover all bases here. Um, sometimes I don't always when it comes to sinistry charts. Um, but yeah, I, I, I see a triple overlay uh, when it comes to the houses. And what I feel astrology really imparts to us when it comes to coworkers is that really the more that we can give, the more that we can offer to another individual the more that we enhance the relationship. And I feel like this is true, not only with coworkers, but also this is true with any relationship as well. The more that we can give into the relationship, the more that we can provide, whether it's just our vibe that's providing inspiration for the other person, 
or whether it's actually our outlooks and our specific outlooks and our specific ambitions, um, you know, and that inspires the other person in the relationship. The more that we have to offer in this particular relationship, the more that it can soar and the more that there's like more that can be built on it. In essence, when it comes to relationships, it's what we give in the end of the, at the end of the day. It's not what we're getting from somebody, but what we're actually giving into the relationship. And I feel like, um, other matters of coworker, coworker relationships too is, um, if we're giving too much, if we're giving too little and balancing all of those dynamics out at the end of the day, um, as well. But I thought that this, you know, house interaction was really interesting. So I also wanted to take a look at the house interactions between, so, what was notorious was that there were two actors who really notoriously did not get along while they were uh, shooting a particular film. Even though when seeing this particular film, it's just the, the actors are just brilliant. They're both brilliant within it. And the film happened to be what happened to baby June and the two actors who did not get along at all. They were like oil and water were actually Joan Crawford and Betty Davis. So I want to take a look at their charts, their overlay, to see if there might have been, you know, what the house interactions were with this, with, with their situation. Now, the first thing that I noticed when I actually pulled up both Joan Crawford and Betty Davis's chart is that with Joan Crawford, man, oh man, not only did she have her son in Aries, she also had Venus and Mercury in Aries as well, too. Um, just a lot of top-heavy energy in that particular sign. I think the second top-heavy energy in her chart was also two planets in Pisces, um, her moon being one of them, and then, of course, Saturn being the second of them. And, um, I mean, it's just a lot of just this top-heavy Aries energy I just feel like when she came to the set of whatever happened to baby June, there was a lot of my way or the highway thinking. And usually with um, Mercury and Aries, with Venus and Aries, it's always we're relating my way or there's the door or I'm thinking in my terms, I'm seeing things in my terms. I'm going to communicate how I communicate. You don't like it again. There's the door. And then to also have this seep into her ego, um, there was a lot of me, 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 me demands as well, too, when it came to Joan Crawford. And I just thought that was rather interesting with her chart. Um, with Betty Davis, the other thing that I also found was that her son was also, she was another Aries. Her son was an Aries in the fifth house. Um, you know, those who have Aries, uh, their son in the fifth house are not only extremely magnetic, which was the epitome of Betty Davis, but also they can ex be extremely uh, fun to be around. You know, they kind of, you know, seek for pleasure and, you know, for a good time to come, kind of, uh, you know, on a set, especially or in a working environment, they'd be the individuals who'd look to lighten up a very heavy atmosphere, um, which whatever happened to baby June, 
it's definitely dramatic. Um, it's definitely, I mean, it's so dramatic. You can cut the drama with a butter knife. Um, and it's so suspenseful. You can cut it with a butter knife as well, too. So, um, I could see where Betty Davis would try to make light of something on the set or make light of something in the movie only to maybe have that fall short with, uh, Joan Crawford, uh, because Joan Crawford had her, needs and everything in place at that time. Now in her chart with Joan Crawford, all these plants are happening outside her first house. So there's a fifth house, first house overlay already while Betty Davis is trying to, you know, lighten up the atmosphere and trying to, you know, it's like she's trying to get work done. Sure. But while she's trying to lighten up the atmosphere between takes, Joan Crawford was really trying to relate the character to her sense of ego and to her sense of self. So already there could, there really could have been a clash, you know, whereas Bay Davis was like, wow, this person is really super self-absorbed and selfish. Uh, with Joan Crawford, she could have seen Betty Davis as being a nuisance to how her character related to her and also how all matters of the set related to her sense of self. Um, you know, being, you know, first house is, your body, your sense of self, your ego, uh, very much kind of like your son's associations. And really, I think with with whatever happened to baby June, it was more about, you know, how she could carry herself as a vehicle, as well as a vehicle in that particular film. And so I feel like that dynamic could have gone a little bit sour. I just feel like this chart is very Aries top heavy. So both actors had their personal vested interests in mind. The way that they were encompassed were probably very different. But um, while many people might think that being in a relationship, any sort of relationship with the sa- somebody of the same sign as you are can be very advantageous, I feel like the biggest drawback of ha- working with somebody, especially in the same sign as you, is that you're seeing not only what works in that individual person, but you're also seeing the shadow side of your, of your own sign. It's kind of like you're seeing, um, you know, either the shadow of yourself all the time or what you'd like to aspire to all the time, which sometimes, I mean, what you'd like to aspire to, that sometimes can work out. Other times, though, when you're just seeing the shadow side, which I kind of feel like um, Betty Davis was seeing, Betty Davis and Joan Crawford were seeing in each other, it's not really very flattering. And I can tell, I can relate this from experience um, with the current workplace setting that I'm in. I work with a boss who's a Leo and I work with a coworker who's a Leo, both of whom I just found out who are complete narcissists. Um, they actually take the narcissistic view of Leo and I don't really care for, of course, it's all in different ways, but, uh, I don't really care to take a look at that because that makes me feel really bad for being a Leo and it makes me feel like I, my shadow side is displayed on my sleeve half the time when I see my coworker and my boss, especially, you know, engaging in these shadow sides often you know, engaging in the egotistical version of Leo, as well as in the attention-seeking version of Leo. Like I said, the narcissistic side of Leo, which is not very, like I said, it's just not fun to be around. 
Um, but I could just see with uh, Betty Davis and Joan Crawford, the same thing happening um, with their sun signs, as well as with just the top heaviness of the, the chart there. And then as if that's not enough, um, you know, so Betty Davis' sixth house overlapped Joan Crawford's second house. In Joe Crawford's second house, she had Mars right there. So really every inspiration was really monetarily funded for Joan Crawford. And, um, you know, when it came to Betty Davis, she was really more inspired with collaborating and working with people. Well, you know, while her monetary funds, sure, I mean, they were really of importance when it came to roles. What was far more important was not only building up her resume, but also really collaborating with people. And, um, you know, to have Joan Crawford's, you know, really her, her oomph and her emphasis, her, you know, like I said, the, the motivation planet, um, Mars being right outside her sixth house. I could see where sometimes, um, it might have inspired Betty Davis to work a little harder, um, and be the ideal coworker. I'd be the ideal co-star and also to be the, you know, be ideal in her role. Um, even though Joan, it, it, it's, it seemed like she um, felt like she could be pushed by Joan Crawford to do her best um, in the best ways possible. But I could also just see like with Joan Crawford's demands, especially her, mon you, know, you know, what makes her feel secure, what made her feel secure on the set, her monetary demands as well. That really could have graded on the nerves of Betty Davis and really could have inhibited her process in character as well too. And normally when I see this in a chart between two coworkers, what I see is, you know, again, somebody who's trying to collaborate with the team and someone who's just there for their own gain um, and how that can kind of cause a bit of a clash right there. We do have that one overlay between two the two money houses. We also have an overlay. Um, so Joan Crawford's 10th house is actually uh, was overlaid Betty Davis's second house. Um, and the two planets that were in there were Uranus, which as we've explored la in last week's episode, that's a lot of erratic change, a lot of erratic emotions. I would say with Betty Davis, um, you know, definitely being careful of how you're spending your money and not just spending it erratically or not just in, uh, spending it impulsively. Also having very impulsive needs at a time, you know, like her needs um, and what made her feel, uh, you know, made her feel comfortable on set would vary from set to set. Um, in some ways, I feel, I felt like her needs were kind of changeable from set to set. And sometimes she might've even had some erratic needs that kind of came out of the blue, um, depending on the character. With Joan Crawford, when it came to her viewpoint of work, it could have been very revolutionary, sure, and it really could have inspired, you know, with Betty Davis and really could have caused her to rethink about what made what makes her feel comfortable, you know, uh, what sort of, you know, like the revolutionary views of Joan Crawford could have inspired her to rethink about her environment and what made her feel more comfortable. But I think more often than not, too, I see a little bit of eroticism here where the revolutionary viewpoints of what made Joan Crawford's view of acting work also could have changed on a whim. What might have agreed with Betty Davis one moment may have not really agreed with Betty Davis the next minute. 
Um, and between the two, I mean, sorry, Uranus on Uranus, I'm seeing continual change. I'm seeing a continual erratic change. And I'm seeing where that those changes may or may not agree with the other person on set. So that really could have been another source, another impetus for their conflict. In the workplace setting, what I see with Uranus on Uranus is usually a lot of erratic um, emotions between both persons, erratic changes, um, very, you know, somebody who comes into the workplace, they feel like they know everything. They're so revolutionary. They know everything. Um, you know, I could see these two, the two individuals kind of thinking they know everything. They know what's best for themselves. They know what's best for the company and don't tell them otherwise. And, uh, you know, for other coworkers who are dealing with them, that could be really grating on the nerves as well, too. Um, and I think that also might have happened between Joan Crawford and Betty Davis. They both, they're both veteran actors. They both knew what was best for them. They both knew what was best for their own personal acting styles, but really was it good for the other coworker? And was it also good for those who are filming and those with whom they're collaborating with was the big question. But again, you know, here we're seeing it with astrology, there are two house overlays. Unfortunately, there are some, you know, planets that are, that are of question that are in those house overlays. But two of those house overlays, as opposed to the ideal of the three, as we'd seen with Meryl Streep and Diane Keaton. And again, I just feel like um, a lot of it is 10th and 2nd house um, motivations, and again, it's, there's not a lot to work with, with that, you know, it's, it's about either, you know, each individual's viewpoint of work, or it's about each individual's view of monetary funds or of security. And there's not a third. Um, I mean, we had the third with Betty Davis with um, collaboration, but with Joan Crawford, not, you know, her sixth house does overlap Betty Davis's 10th house. However, there's nothing in there. Um, and, you know, actually, I changed that. Sorry, Stargazers. They, you know, her 10th house does overlap or her sixth house does overlap Betty Davis's 10th house. So we do have this triple overlay. I just think really what kind of made the friction happen was really um, there was a lot, like I said, a lot of planets in there, like harsh plants in those particular houses. Also, um, you know, even though there was an overlay between the sixth and the tenth house, there weren't planets in either person's chart in that in those houses. So there wasn't a lot to work with, um, and really it was just about every you know the two actors' viewpoints, their you know overarching philosophies about acting and monetary gain as well as security on set. Um, not a lot of collaboration, um, especially from Joan Crawford's end. And um, I think that really could have grated on everybody's nerves, including Betty Davis, because Betty Davis was the sort of Aries where it's like, hey, I like this role. Let's get it moving. I, you know, hey, I really have a lot of great ideas for how to encompass this character. Let's get that rolling too. And only to maybe have delays from Joan Crawford, which, which were more monetary could have really also um, put a damper on things. I felt like how these two actors really worked it out and still became rather brilliant on film was that they had to go their own separate ways. They had to take, 
their own sixth house viewpoints, their own second house viewpoints and their own 10th house viewpoints and just make it work. Um, it's almost as though they had to work in an isolation from the other actor in order to make their character stand out and to make their characters believable. And honestly, I think both actors are a really great job because on film, their chemistry as the two sisters are just you know, it's, it's just magnetic. It's just, it's the most wonderful film. It's the most wonderful thing in film that you could ever see. You don't really see how they didn't get along. You really see how they're both very brilliant in their own way. So I think um, working in isolation from each other or just kind of making, it's like, oh yeah, I got to work with this person, but just kind of making it work uh, really helped them out. But again, um, it's how much that is given in the relationship. And I would say with Joan Crawford, Betty Davis, not a ton, not a ton was given into this relationship. Um, you know, it was just about, you know, each actor had just a different focal point and locus. And, you know, there's nothing wrong. It's not like that's a bad relationship. It's just, they just didn't get along. You know, it's just, it's just, it just was, you know, it's, it, it was kind of, um, kind of like what Mel on Love and Marriage Huntsville had to say about Destiny uh, last year. Um, sometimes we just agree to disagree. You know, and I, I feel like um, sometimes with coworkers, there is a sometimes we agree to disagree. And that was definitely the case with Betty Davis and Joan Crawford. But again, um, with the house relationships, how much we give, I think, is really the best, you know, kind of determines how well this relationship goes. The other thing, too, as I've mentioned in both charts, the planets um, and their alignment and how well they're aligned in the chart um, really also heightens it. Like with Diane Keaton and Meryl Streep, there's a lot of times where their Mars and Saturn positions especially are in, you know, places of prominence or they're in places that can also help out the other individual or inspire the other individual even though sometimes there there does look like, uh, especially like with uh, Diane Keaton's Saturn placement, does look like it's in heart aspect to um, her son and also Meryl Streep's sixth house placement. Um, I think sometimes her level of dedication could have come, you know, being in the ninth house and willing to relocate um, and travel could have come into a conundrum with Meryl Streep's version of what it was like to collaborate on set and, you know, her version of what it's like to get along with coworkers. Um, however, though, you know, overall, I mean, like the planets in here are usually kind of, you know, they're inspiring or as we see with Joan Crawford, Betty Davis, not so inspiring in the chart as well. So overall, when it comes to astrology of coworkers, what can we garner and what can we deal with when it comes to this episode, when it comes to astrology? Again, I think, you know, how much you give is a, a big factor. How much um, you have in common with each other as well is a huge factor. You know, um, you know, especially with the houses, the money houses, not only having all three aligned, but where they are with each sign. And if those signs kind of, you know, are either the same or if they if they mesh with each other to have good commonalities or to have, you know, good similarities when it comes to work. 
and also good starting point. Like both persons, you know, appreciate their line of service um, or their, you know, both persons appreciate their um, particular career and they, they have that shared appreciation. Um, I think that goes a long way when it comes to the relationship with coworkers, or if it's something like with Betty Davis and Joan Crawford, where, yeah, they had some alignment, but one person was more focused on monetary, other person was more focused on collaboration. How many times in a, in a co-working environment do we have one person is more focused on fun and wants to, you know, has his or her head outside of what's fun and they're really sacrificing their work for what's fun? Um, or how many times do we have coworkers too who value gabbing because that's fun as opposed to getting work done? And for somebody who's a little more dedicated and put together than that, um, that can also cause a bit of a clash and with those, you know, uncommon shared interests in the chart as well. Well, stargazers, um, I also would say another thing that can um, help us as well with astrology, what can astrology tell us if we do have more of the Joan Crawford, Betty Davis relationship where it's like oil and water? Um, well, I would say first and foremost, in order to just try to get along, I know with Betty Davis and Joan Crawford, they ended up, you know, being more in isolation with each other. I think really, um, even though you don't really share your interests in the chart, um, uh, trying to, again, come to that point of we agree to disagree. You know, hey, we disagree. I, I have to do this currently with a coworker of mine. There's one coworker, I swear, he probably has a lot of plants outside his fifth house. And it's probably grading right up against my sixth house because I... I try to buckle down and do the work. Whereas, I mean, he's just like socializing all the time. And there are just points where I just feel like I have to kind of, you know, just respect where he's coming from. I understand that the work that I do can be very monotonous. Um, and the work that he does too, it can be very monotonous. It can be a drawing point. It can be very mind numbing too, um, at times, you know, that um, he might need continual interspersing, you know, so kind of a, being accommodative of that, but also making sure that I do get the work that I need to do done. You know, I can't really make him do his work and whatever he needs to do, get done, done, but, you know, making sure that I'm still responsible for my work. So I feel like kind of balancing accommodating for a coworker with my own needs, I think really helps out in a, a working environment where, you know, you have very, you know, clashing interests as well too. The other thing that I also like to find is that, you know, see if there might be something that's of benefit that um, comes from this clashed relationship, like with his coworker, when he likes to, you know, talk when he likes to gab. There are times where I feel like he's just trying to lighten up the working environment because it can get a little overly serious and a little Saturnine as well too. Actually, I feel like my boss can be very Saturnine, um, both in the regards that he's very serious, but also that he's very controlling. And, um, you know, it's, you know, sometimes you need somebody to crack 
the tension up a little bit. And I feel like that's where he kind of comes into play. And, you know, you can't really fault him for trying to do that, you know, trying to make the dynamics work out and, you know, try to, you know, I would just say within a co-working relationship, if you have, you know, like a, two houses that clash, especially, um, you know, really how to give that person the benefit of the doubt. Or if you also have plans that clash, how to give that person the benefit of the doubt and um, really try to see maybe if they have good ulterior motives as opposed to ill-gotten ulterior motives. And then I think the third thing that I could really mention when it comes to coworkers it's just kind of like with Betty Davis and with Joan Crawford, try to level out where your needs are also brought to the fore so that um, if you do, if you are like how I am, if you are dealing with a coworker who's a little narcissistic and who's continually looking and fishing for compliments a lot of the time to bolster his lack of self-confidence, you know, to make sure that your needs also go noticed with that particular coworker and that, you know, those needs are also mentioned in a very constructive manner as well. And then of course, what we're learning from, from coworkers who do get along, um, you know, I would just say the more that you can be open and respect each other's opinions about, um, the place of where you work and also about the, um, the, oh my goodness, I'm sorry, stargazers, I'm losing my words this evening, but about the line of career too, I think that that really helps uh, the relationship as well too. I also find from like Diane Keaton and Meryl Streep's charts, um, the more that you can kind of admire, and you know, not only just be open, but the more that you can kind of admire the other person as opposed to being in competition with the other person. I feel like the more that you have to gain from the, I feel like actually both people have more to gain from the relationship as opposed to when you're just continually at odds or continually competing over each other because you find one person is great as opposed to the other. And I find when things aren't really going so well in the relationship, I mean, I feel like with all great co-working relationships, as well as ill-gotten co-working relationships, always something kind of goes, you know, something kind of gets misunderstood and goes astray, you know, um, making sure that maybe you swallow your pride. And I, you know, I had to do this recently with a coworker who I get along with. She was promoted, whereas I was demoted. Um, I felt like I treated her pretty badly, and I made sure to apologize for that um, in order to keep the working relationship clear. Um, she completely understood and didn't really notice anything, which was that that was nice. But um, you know, you know, to kind of you know, as much as you can, whenever there are disagreements, clearing the air and um, making sure that you're starting on a good foot possible. Well, Stargazers, I really do hope that this was an informative episode. I kind of feel like these Astrology of the Workplace episodes are not only very exciting, but sometimes they're kind of, I mean, I'm kind of going with my intuition on this one and kind of going with some of my big ideas on this one. Um, if you guys have additional comments, like I said, I had to give most of what I notice in charts. 
If you guys have additional comments or you have additional questions, please feel free to reach out to me at either misek, M-I-S-E-K dot Sandra at gmail.com or at my Instagram page at Sandra dot Again, that's M-I-S-E-K. Um, actually, with my Instagram uh, page, I have actually been promoting this podcast. So you'll definitely see some photos like probably some photos from the Denver Botanic Gardens on there, but with, you know, hey, check out my latest episode on there. So um, definitely promoting it as much as possible on Instagram. But, you know, like I said, if you do have a question, please feel free to reach out um, to me and send me those questions. Or if you're just like, hey, Sandra, you missed this point or you missed that point or here are my viewpoints of the matter. I'd love to hear from you uh, because like I said, I'm kind of going off of what I'm noticing and the cuff of what I have um, at this point. So I'd love to hear those comments and recommendations. And above all, you guys will go shout out on the air. Um, so who doesn't like that? Also, Stargazers, do not forget to become a Patreon and become a member of my podcast. That not only helps me to create high-quality content, but on top of that, that kind of helps me to see you guys as well. And again, you, you'd get another shout-out on the air, plus a free Sinistry chart reading. So definitely check that out on patreon.com forward slash 7th House Astrology. But above all, don't be afraid to look up at the stars. A great getaway, as well as, you know, great way to bond with the 12 zodiacal signs that we come to know and love today. And above all, stargazers, um, you know, as we shift from Aries to Taurus season, I do hope that you guys are well, that you're enjoying the season as much as you possibly can. Please stay tuned for next week's episode. We'll be covering as to how that relates to relationships and synastry. So that'll be, that'll be something to look forward to. To all you Taurians out there, that's really something to look forward to. But above all, Stargazers, between, next, between now and next week, I do hope to find you well. And above all, be well. <laughs>